Welcome to the Loft Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message and that it ignites in you a hunger for more of God's presence in your life. You know, 5,000 piece puzzle. You revoke, you pull that. Okay, down. Okay. <clears throat> so, so picture this somebody gives you a box of puzzle pieces. It clearly came from the thrift store where I work uh, because there's pieces missing. How many people like doing puzzles where pieces are missing? <laughs> okay. So when you... Um, when you start a puzzle, what do you normally do? You sort of, I, I, I see that, yes. Yes, you, you do the edges. You find all the, the, the flat pieces and you, you make your little outline, right? And then what do you do? Put all the colors, separate all the colors and... What are you always referring to? The picture on the box. Right? And the really mean ones are like light blue sky, about, you know, half of them, right? So you got a big pile. <laughs> so, okay. So where am I going with this? That's a good question. So imagine getting a box of puzzle pieces with no borders and no picture. That's pretty challenging, right? So there's, here's the caveat. A couple people have done this puzzle before, okay? So it's kind of like you can do a phone a friend. So you call them up and you say, um, what's this puzzle look like? And uh, one person says, well, there's, there's like a, a water, river type thing. So it's kind of like a river. And you're like, Okay, so you start separating those pieces. And then call somebody else and they say, well, it's, it's a lot of, like, stone walls. Like, okay, so I try to separate those a little bit. And then it's like, call somebody else and it's, like, well, there's trees and sky, okay? And then you call somebody else, and they say, well, there's, it's kind of like a bridge. And you're like, okay, I'm really confused now. So you start putting this puzzle together, but you're only getting little fragmented ideas of it. So... What if I were to say, all my life, 
growing up as a Christian, that's what Christianity looked like to me. I got a little bit of this, and then somebody tells me that the gospel is like a little of this and a little of this, and they focus on, you go to different churches, and one focuses on baptism, and the other one focuses on uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and another one focuses on dispensationalism, and another one focuses on the love of God, and then another one's talking about the judgment of God. And you get all these little pieces, right? But it doesn't make any sense as a whole. And we've chopped up Christianity so much that we can't even, we can't see the big picture. And honestly, there's, there's no framework in which to put all these pieces. And it's taken me 40 years to finally get to a place where it's like, why did I never see this before? And you know, you've, those of you that have heard me speak before, you already know where I'm going, right? Because, so wh- where am I going with this? Yeah. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. When uh, the go- somebody shared the gospel with me many moons ago, four decades ago, they said, you must be born again. Right? What did they leave out? What's the context? To enter the kingdom of God. How many people do not hear that when they're sharing the gospel? They don't ever say, they don't ever continue it. They say, the gospel, preach the gospel. What's the good news? What is the good news? That's, why did Jesus come? Why did he say he came? He came to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So, of course, this is review from the last time that I spoke, but I started going through Matthew, and uh, I saw in every page, every chapter, it was talking about the kingdom, right? Even from chapter 2, where it says, here comes the Magi, right, from the east. And they're asking the question, what must I be to be born again? No. They're saying, where is the one born king of the Jews? John the Baptist comes along and he says, repent. You must be born again. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Jesus, first thing that he says in chapter 4 of Matthew, uh, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, sickness among the people. News spread about him all over Syria, and the people brought to him all that were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. When Jesus went and started the Sermon on the Mount, what was the first thing he said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. Continually talking about the kingdom of heaven. So if you turn in your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I got a question for you. Matthew 6, the disciples see Jesus praying, right? And they ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what's the first thing that he says? This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be, or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My question is, do you think that Jesus would have instructed his disciples to pray that way if he wasn't planning on answering that prayer. So then we need to ask ourselves, how many people have prayed that? Like I grew up Catholic, right? And it's like, uh, that's all we used to do, right? You do something wrong, you go to confessional, they say, do 10 Our Fathers. And so I bang them out. Our Father, who art in heaven, I'll be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses. Forgive those who trespass against us. But let me ask you this, really, um, in all seriousness. Do you pray this? Jesus instructed his followers to pray this way. Do you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Okay. If yes, what does that look like? 
Yeah. Yeah, I want to know what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Okay. Hmm. Okay. All right. I told you I didn't have all the answers. I'm asking the question. Oh, she said there is forgiveness in heaven. There's no, there's no offense in heaven. So there should be no offense and there should always be forgiveness on earth. No sickness in heaven. Okay, getting somewhere. No pain or suffering. So why is there pain and suffering now? Why when we pray for people, they don't get healed? What does the kingdom of God look like? You know, in Hebrews chapter 8, it talks about uh, the building of the tabernacle and the one on earth reflected the one in heaven. Uh, So there seems to be an association, a mirror of this is the way that it should look here. Like, what are we calling out? I mean, shouldn't we have a clear vision of what the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God looks like if we're supposed to be manifesting that on earth, right? That's our prayer, right? If, if we're really praying that. May, um, some people aren't praying it, and hey, that's okay. You're, you, at least you're being honest about it. Because it's like you're not saying, Father in heaven, holy is your name, you're not really saying, I want your kingdom, I want heaven to reflect on earth, I I want your will to be done, because really, I want my will to be done, I mean, at least you're being honest about that, right, but if you really want to delve into this prayer, really, are you really looking for his kingdom to be manifest on earth just like it is in heaven? And if you really want that, what needs to change in your life to reflect that? Like I said, I've got a bunch of questions, and I can't answer these for you. But you have to look at your life, and if you say, yeah, I'm part of the kingdom of God on earth, then what should my life look like? Look like Jesus's. And what does that look like? Right? 
Mm-hmm. Isaiah 61 says, If that's our mirror, which is the life of Jesus, because he said in Luke, when he read that, he said, it's fulfilled in me today. If he said, wait for the Holy Spirit and the power to come on you so that you can walk the Christian, holy, set-apart life because you can't do it in your own strength then does your life reflect Isaiah 61 or are we so caught up in our own lives and asking God to bless us and give us things that we don't even aren't even concerned about anybody else, really. We don't really even have time or energy for somebody else. When the Israelites were under persecution, first of the Greeks and then, um, then under the Romans, They were looking for a Messiah that would free them from their oppression. They wanted to be redeemed as a nation. So when Jesus came along and said that he was the Messiah, the king, They were expecting him to overthrow Rome, right? But then when he didn't, they were very confused. Because they were like, James and John were positioning themselves. We're going to be on your right. We're going to be on your left. Uh, When you come into your kingdom, this is going to be cool. Let's do it. Let's overthrow them. Let's. Let's beat them down. We're tired of being uh, persecuted. Um, They even felt that way at the end, after Jesus had died. I was reading today um, in Luke chapter 24. There was uh, after Jesus rose from the dead. Do you remember the two guys on their way to Emmaus? They're on their way, and some other guy comes alongside, and it's like, hey, what are you talking about? They're like, would you crawl out from under a rock? Uh, are you the only one 
that uh, doesn't doesn't know what happened. And he says, uh, we're just talking about these things. And he says, uh, what things? In verse 19, they like, about Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, this is what they're all thinking. But we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. What did that mean? Like after three days, somebody being dead? Mm. Remember Lazarus? In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that uh, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just like the women said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He went on to say that he disappeared and they ran back and they said, were not our hearts burning within us as he explained all this? See, they understood that they were looking for a redeemer for Israel. They were looking for a king. The interesting thing that I found um, is that I keep asking myself, what did they talk about? Because... Even the Apostle Paul, if you go to Acts chapter 28, I was uh, amazed by right at the, the very last sentences of Acts chapter 28. Verse 30 says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. For two whole years, he talked about the kingdom of God. Why is it that we don't talk about the kingdom of God in our churches today? It's weird. It's so important. It's so crucial. Jesus said, this is why I came. This is the reason why I was born. To be king over all the earth. And we don't even talk about it. We talk about these side issues, which 
in context really makes a lot of sense if you're talking about the kingdom of God, but we don't talk about it in light of the kingdom. Like, basically, when have you ever heard the good news of the gospel like this? Well, you have to come and die. Basically, the only way you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven is if you die. Die with Jesus. And once you're flatlined, the Holy Spirit will bring you back to life. And you'll wake up in heaven at the right hand of Jesus. And then... He'll turn to his right and say, okay, your assignment is to go back to earth, be an ambassador for our kingdom, and tell everybody about what the kingdom of God is like, and invite them to come and die also, that they might have eternal life. And enter into that kingdom. And represent that kingdom. Become kings and queens on earth. Because he's the king of kings. Who are the kings? And the lord of lords. Who are the lords? We're supposed to represent his kingdom on earth. But we weren't born in a kingdom, so we don't know anything about that. So a kingdom needs what? A king, <laughs> people, and rules and regulations and governments and, and so forth. So we're supposed to develop that. Like a kingdom is, is uh, all the kingdoms of the earth, if you study history, is they go out and they colonize, Right? They, they invade a territory and they, they infuse their culture and their language and their customs and their food and their way of living uh, into those people. That's our assignment. Our assignment is to colonize the whole earth with God's kingdom. No matter what we do, no matter where we go, we're supposed to colonize and change the culture, change the atmosphere, change the language, change how we conduct life. No matter what you are, what you do, you've, you've heard of the seven mountains, right? And so in every area, whether you're an artist or an economist or a astronomer or a botanist or an engineer or a politician or an educator or a businessman, lawyer, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a grandparent, a missionary, a prophet, a mathematician. Whatever you do, you're supposed to display the kingdom in that area. In fact, that's what Colossians 3.17 says. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do all in the name of the, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you do it for God. Whatever you do, 323, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The kingdom of God is made up of justice, righteousness, hope for the poor, mercy and forgiveness. 126 times in the Gospels it spoke about. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. We're supposed to display in our, you, you read Proverbs and it says, have equal balances. Don't rip somebody off. Don't do harm to somebody, but care for those people. These are things that come out of our heart by the Holy Spirit. These are the things that demonstrate to other people there's something different about you. Why are you not walking in fear? Why are you have this confidence, this, this joy, this peace about you? you? You're always doing the right thing. It says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the fruit comes out of you naturally. You don't have to struggle for it. It's, it's you spent so much time with him that it's just love and peace and patience and kindness start coming out of you. That you're known as a person who is full of joy. That circumstances aren't going to rule you. They're not going to change you. They're not going to mess you up. You're going to walk in such a way that people are just like, wow, there's something about you that I need to have. We should be attracting people, right? Peter told us, set apart Christ as Lord. And then be prepared to give an answer of the hope that's within you with gentleness, leading them to a place of love where you've received that eternal life that's within you that you can share with other people. This was the very thing that Jesus lived. He breathed. It was the main thing. It was his mission, his message. It flowed out of everything that he did and everything he talked about. He displayed it, right? Michaela was talking about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. She was, talk, she, was, she was wanting so bad for healings and deliverance and, 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 and just explosions to come out because guess what? That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. That's, that's how you know you're walking in that. 
In my life, I want to reflect the king. I want to reflect his kingdom as best as I can. That I would mirror heaven's people as clearly as possible. That my thoughts, my attitudes, my decisions would mimic the thoughts, attitudes, and behavior as accurately as possible, which occurs in heaven. Why? Because I want to make heaven attractive. Why do I want to make heaven attractive? To expand his reign and influence of our king on earth as it is in heavenly realms. Why? Because we believe that God's way of life, of living, is the best way. We're convinced that his way is the best way. And in order for people to believe that, they need to see it. We can't just talk about it. It's like, show me. They want to see it. They want to know that it's real, that it's possible. We have to desire his will. So the last scripture that I want us to look at is in Romans 12. Paul in in Romans 11 is talking about Israel. And he goes into this doxology, they call it. Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsel? Who has ever given God given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world anymore. Colossians 1 clearly says, you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, his into the kingdom of light. There's only two kingdoms. If you've been rescued, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will then you can say, thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like? Some practical things that Paul laid out starting at verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot of things that reflect what heaven should look like. And even reading that again shows areas where I need to surrender to the Lord. But that should be my desire, is to surrender and to give my heart to him, to allow to see from his perspective. An ambassador represents his king wherever he goes. Are we re representing our king in all that we say and do? Because we can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit so if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, ask for him to come in and fill you that you might walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The longing of our heart should be to see God's invisible kingdom manifested into the visible through our lives. We are walking epistles. The only Jesus that other people are gonna see is us. Are you representing Jesus well?
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy is your name. You sent your one and only Son to die in our place that we might have life. Eternal life found in you. Thank you that we are new creations filled with your spirit. You bought us with a price and we're not our own. We may honor you by living lives reflective of your kingdom. Father, we want to colonize the whole earth again for your glory. You made this creation and you gave us rule and reign and dominion over it and we gave it away. But you bought us back that we might take it back. Help us to take it back. Thank you for your spirit that transforms our lives, our homes, our communities. our nation, our world. We long for the day when you do return for us. Until then, I pray that we would be found faithful in representing you well. For your namesake and for your glory. Amen. Thank you. I know this was a somber word, but I want to challenge us to go further and don't settle and don't just focus on yourself, but focus on how you can serve your king and represent his kingdom. Amen. If you were inspired by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. For more information about The Loft or for gathering times and locations, you can check out our website at www.theloftnw.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next time.